Good morning, church. Hey, thanks for being here today. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be with you on the first day of the week to celebrate our risen Savior. We come together to celebrate that empty cross and the empty tomb, right? We do serve a Savior who is risen. He is the hope that we have in this world, and we want to share that hope with all those around us. Tell that story of what he means to you uh, by words or actions, either way, every day of your life. We're excited to have some guests here with us today. Thanks for joining us as well. It's truly an honor you've decided to be with us today. And of course, our hope is if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our Cross Point family here. All of us have made a decision to surrender to Christ and say, God, we want to join you in the story that you're telling in the world. Help us uh, reveal to us our uh, gift sets so that we can join you in that storytelling. So thanks again for being here uh, today. I want to say thank you to Jeremy. He did a great job last week bringing us the message uh, on Mission Sunday and uh, using your talents. Yes, let's clap for him. And knowing his personality, he would not want that at all. But Jeremy, you're a gifted speaker and we appreciate you reminding us of the task that we have uh, at hand. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Haggai yet again, our third in a uh, sermon series, the last one. Uh, Haggai is located in the Old Testament, and so if you know where Matthew is, the first book of the New Testament, and just go three books backwards into the Old Testament, you'll be at Haggai. We'll be in chapter two uh, here in just a moment. I want to mention a couple of things, though, uh, that are necessary before we move forward. One is uh, December 4th is what we're calling Baptism Sunday, and about four times a year, we want to focus on baptism. Now, you can be baptized any day of the week, any time of the day that you want to, even if you call me at 2 a.m. Yes, I will be here to do that, okay? Uh, whatever it takes, we want you to have that new creation uh, in Christ, that you walk with him. Uh, baptism is certainly part of that process. But well, I know there's some here in our audience that have been thinking about baptism, that have been toying with the idea, you know you want to do it, uh, and you're just waiting for that right time. Well, I'm telling you right now, December 4th is that right time. We want to make sure that uh, everything is prepared. So let me know if you're thinking about that and join others on December 4th uh, for part of that baptism process as well. Uh, I want to mention too that uh, this is kind of a, a an offer for me just to say, listen, we need some help. Uh, our kids' ministry is growing by leaps and bounds. There's a lot of, of uh, kids back there in that small area. We're building a new 8,000-square-foot area right out here where we're going to move into that in just a few weeks. But Elise is in desperate need of help with volunteers. So maybe you've been thinking about this. Maybe you've been trying to decide, where do I want to get involved in ministry at Crosspoint? And let me invite you to, to think about kids' ministry. Uh, we need help on Sunday mornings. We need help on Wednesday night. Uh, and so maybe if that's in your wheelhouse or something you want to help with, uh, we'd love to, for, for you to jump in. And you may be saying, well, I'm not really a teacher. And although we need teachers, we also need folks to welcome kids into the, uh, the worship area. We need folks to push the button on the video. We need folks to check kids in when they come in uh, on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. So any way that you can help in our kids' ministry, man, Elise would really, really appreciate it. So please see me or Elise, and we'll get you... Uh, moved in the right direction to help out uh, with that. Now, last week was Mission Sunday, and we didn't get a chance to do this last week. I know Friday was Veterans Day, and we have a lot of veterans here at Cross Point, and we want to take just a moment to say thank you for your time and sacrifice. And so if you would, if you were, have been in the armed forces and served in any way, we'd ask you to stand so that we can thank you uh, for your service. Please do that.
That, that is definitely a sacrifice, uh, and, and we thank you for doing that for our country and uh, protecting those uh, laws and the Constitution that helps us come together, even on a Sunday morning, to worship without fear. We can worship God as we feel like the Bible calls us to do. Well, I want to set up where we're at in Haggai because uh, there was a, a couple of moments we had just talking about the story and maybe some weren't here in those moments when we talked a little bit about the historical element of Haggai. It was written in about 520 BC and yes, even 2,500 years after the writing of Haggai, it's still very relevant to us because it's God's story. It's part of how he's called his people to move in the world in which uh, we live. And so if you go all the way back to when uh, Haggai happened and even before, Israel had begun worshiping false gods. They worshiped God, uh, Yahweh, but also other gods in the mix. And God said, listen, you need to make me priority. I want to be number one in your life, the only God. And Israel wouldn't listen. And so God allowed the world power at the time, uh, which was Babylon, uh, to come over and take Uh, prisoners out of Jerusalem. So King Nebuchadnezzar comes over to Jerusalem. He lays siege to the city. Uh, He gets inside the city, destroys uh, the town, destroys the temple, uh, and takes away all of Judah into captivity. Uh, And there they lived until for, for about 70 years in bondage. But as they were in Babylon, another world power rose uh, to prominence, and that was the Persian Empire. Persia conquered Babylon, and King Darius wanted cultures to really flourish. So they they knew they were a conquered culture, they would be uh, part of the Persian kingdom, but he wanted those folks to go back to their homelands and recultivate their culture, which would include worship. And so about 50 years into that 70-year captivity, uh, a group of about 50,000 Israelites went back to Jerusalem. And in doing so, they began to rebuild their farms, rebuild the city, rebuild the temple of God. Uh, But for several decades, there had been a power at work there just north of Jerusalem, the Samaritans. Uh, They didn't like Israel coming back into play. They didn't like uh, God sending them back and rebuilding the temple. And so they came down and they caused some hardship for those Israelites. And our story tells us that uh, the temple sat without anyone working on it for about 14, 15 years. And that those people that were supposed to be working on the temple actually began building their own houses instead of the house of God. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves in the story. God, through the prophet Haggai, through the preacher Haggai, is calling Israel back to their first love, and that is God. Build my house before you take care of anything else. Make me priority in your life. Now, I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life where I have struggled when I ask myself, man, what's wrong with me? There are things going on that's just a little too much pressure. I'm not sure that I'm supposed to do this. Or why am I working through this and yet it's so difficult? You and I have had those moments in our life. I know in my undergrad degree, I was required, as everyone is, to take 10 hours of a foreign language. And I remember Robin chuckling at me as I sat on the floor in our living room pressing the cassette tape. Yes, at that time it was cassette tapes. Uh, Pressing the cassette tape play and hearing a guy speak to me in Spanish and I had to speak those words back and trying to learn that Spanish uh, language. And there were moments in those uh, moments where I said, I'm not sure that I really need a college degree. I think this will be okay with that one. It was tough. It's hard to learn another language. You've got already things set in your mind and then to learn a different language, kind of tough. There have been moments in my life, uh, a couple where maybe I built a swing set and you're admiring your work, but you're holding a box full of nuts and bolts and screws, and you're thinking, hmm, I hope these were extras, 
because I don't want all that work to go to waste, right? You're hoping it's safe along the way. Maybe for you, it was a ministry that you were passionate about, that you wanted to start. God had placed that on your heart and you had a fire for it, but it seemed like maybe you were the only one. And so it began to get difficult. It's hard to go through with what you felt God had called you to do. And maybe you just left it by the wayside. Maybe in your own marriage, it's been tough. You pour into it. You, you do the things that you believe that would give life to your marriage, but doesn't seem to be reciprocated on the other end. And it gets tiring. You feel like, man, is this what I should be doing? It's, it's tough. Is this what God's called me to do? How he's called me to live out life? And when we look at the Israelites in our story, they're in the same boat. They've got a little bit of pressure and they're wondering, man, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Things aren't going very smoothly. And we find out from our story, which is so relevant for us today, what the real problem is in Israel. And the problem really is conditional obedience to God. It's the idea that I'm going to be inside of God's story. I'm going to do what he's called me to do as long as the price isn't too high. If, if he doesn't call me to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced, don't ask too much of me, God, but I want to journey and walk with you. As long as I see the results that I want to see in the story, then I'll continue the journey with you. But if I don't see the results... If it's a little bit uncomfortable for me, if it's too inconvenient for me, then I may just pull back a little bit. We took some seniors from high school on a mission trip to Zagreb, Croatia in 2001. Uh, the, the nation is a very Catholic and there's some Muslims there as well, but the church was flourishing. They were building a brand new building and my good friend Ivan Tesic, who is the preacher there and a, a Croatian national, he uh, invited us over, and so we went over, and we did the first ever VBS that they had ever seen, the locals had ever seen. They didn't even know what it was. Uh, and so a lot of the parents stayed after church service on Sunday night when it began, and they watched all of us uh, begin to interact with their kids and tell Bible stories and do some fun things, and they were absolutely thrilled that we had come, and we were excited to be a part of that process. Well, about halfway through, Robin and I were staying at Ivan's house, and uh, we were getting ready to go out in the morning, and I had my coffee, and I distinctly remember he kind of cornered me in the, in the kitchen, and uh, he said in a very rough English accent, hey, you need to go back home, and you need to tell your elders that you need, you need to come here for a year and work with me with the kids and the teenagers. They desperately need you, and I need you here, and, and he just kept pressing in, I felt very uncomfortable with my coffee, and I thought, hmm, this, is, uh, this would be hard. I wouldn't be able to watch Monday Night Football. I don't know about the food here either because I didn't see a McDonald's around the corner. It's some weird stuff they cook over there. All of a sudden, immediately I began rationalizing. This is a little too inconvenient for me. It's a little too uncomfortable for me. Now, I don't know if God was actually calling me to Croatia or not. I took another part of the story. But it's interesting how we fall in love with the text in Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh, the plans I have for you. The plans to love on you, to prosper you for a great future, and we love and embrace that text, don't we? But then we begin to analyze the story of God and really what he's calling us to do, and we, we back up a minute because we think, wait a minute, you're, you're wanting me to forgive those people? Did you hear how they talked to me? Did you hear what they did to me? Nope, not going to forgive them. We fall into the 
task of serving other people. Wait a minute, you, you want me to serve at a homeless shelter in downtown Dallas on Sunday afternoon? That's the only chance I get to relax on my couch and watch football. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm available for that. Wait, wait, you, you want me to teach kids on Sunday morning or Wednesday night? Well, I did my bit in that, and that, I'm 20 years retired. I'm, I'm done. That's a little uncomfortable for me. And like our kids, we have selective listening, don't we? In the process of hearing what God is telling us. Last week I was at Tom Thumb and there was a mom there pushing her shopping cart and it was one of those that had the plastic car on the front where the kids can play, you know, as you shop, kind of distract them. Uh, And so she was talking to the kids and they were slamming doors and screaming and yelling and hanging out the windows and she was telling them to calm down and shut the doors and, hey, you need to get it under control. They weren't listening to a word she said until... She stopped at the, the Lunchables. And she said, kids, I'm thinking about getting you some Lunchables. They came out of the car. They were nicely dressed. The boy was slicking his hair back. Yes, mother. All of a sudden, Lunchables were on the table. You know, we got to calm down. We get selective listening just like that, don't we? I remember when we lived in Kansas, uh, when the boys were in junior high and high school. Trash came on Tuesday and Friday night. Part of their chores, part of their job in the house was to take the trash out. On the evenings prior to those days, take it out to the garbage can, pull the garbage can out to the curb so the next morning the trash truck could pick that up. But you know what I did almost every week? I didn't do it, but I had to go remind some people that they were supposed to be doing it. Anybody have that problem with their kids? That's some brave souls out there. Yeah, that was me. (laughs) Every Monday night, did you get the trash together? Oh, I forgot that. I'll go get that. Friday, Thursday night. Did you get the trash together yet? Oh, that's right, I'm supposed to do that. You, you realize that was just two days ago that I talked to you about this. <laughs> Selective listening. But I guarantee when the Harry Potter movies started coming out, two weeks before the movie came out, they were hitting me up. Have you bought tickets yet? You got our seats reserved? Are we going to dress up for the movie? How much popcorn are we got? I mean, the list went on and on and on. You see, when it's something we want to do, we're on it. But sometimes when it's inconvenient or uncomfortable, we forget about that part of the story. And God wants to use everything in our story as part of his story. The good, the bad, the ugly. What's Paul say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28? He said, God works in all things for those who love the Lord. In everything, the good, bad, and the ugly. When we lean into God's story and what he's telling us in our lives... When he says, look, if you want to be sexually intimate, that's something for marriage, but you decide to do that outside of marriage, there's going to be consequences in that. I'm calling you to selfless living, to serve other people, but then our pride gets in the way because we don't want to serve a certain group or skin color or part of our country or part of our town. We are called into ministry, yet many of us sit on the sideline letting other people tell the story of Jesus in different ways. We're called to be kind and humble to all those around us. And yet this latest election, and it seems it's not over yet, seems far from those two things. See, God doesn't give us options to consider in life. He gives us a lifestyle to obey. 
he calls us into life with him to say, live where I'm priority. Live where I'm the number one thing in your life. Remember in our story, the Israelites had turned from God and started worshiping other false gods. They even put their own houses above the house of God, rebuilding that temple. And our story today begins in chapter 2 of Haggai, in verse 12. Haggai is talking to the priest. God's asked him to speak specifically to the priests because they're in charge of the temple. And if he can get the priests motivated to do what's right, they will call the other people into the work as well. And so Haggai, God through Haggai says in verse 12, if one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? And the priest replied, no. Hey guys, trying to make a point here about holy living, God in priority. You and I can wash our hands all day long and be sterile and be clean, but the second we reach for the spaghetti plate, we're going to get dirty again. There's no way to keep the two separated. And that's what Haggai is trying to call the people of Israel back to, that following God is an all-in event. And then he moves on to verse 13. Then Haggai asks, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods that I just mentioned, will the food be defiled? And the priests answer, yes. Again, kind of the reverse order, but he's trying to call them to this holy lifestyle. He wants them to understand the power of disobedience to God, that it will be contagious on a level. And Paul reminded us in his letter to one of the churches, he says, listen, bad company corrupts good character. And when the boys were in high school uh, in Kansas, they would ask to go riding around with folks uh, on, a, on a weekend or maybe go over to someone's house. And parents just let me say, if, if you're going to allow that to happen, you need to ask who they're going to be with, what car they're driving, what's the license plate, give me some cell phone numbers, whose house are you going to? And they won't like you for that, but ask anyway. We used to say, when you get to that house, I want you to take a picture with his mom and send that to me in a text. (laughs) I want to know that's where you're at. And they would reluctantly go, okay, but guess what? They followed all that because they know we cared about them. But we reminded them too, if you're in a car with a bunch of friends and there's alcohol in the car, in the trunk, if there's some other things going on that are controlled going on in the car... You need to ask them to pull over and get out of the car. I will come pick you up. Make me the bad guy. Because if they get pulled over and you're in the car, whether you're doing anything or not, all of you are going to jail. Bad company corrupts good character. And that's what Haggai is trying to remind Israel about. That when you make a decision to live that ignited lifestyle, when you make a decision to follow God, it means everything goes to God. And then in verse 14... It gets kind of tough. Then Haggai responded, that is, that's how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. And Haggai's reminding them, you haven't fully committed to God yet. You've still got one foot in the world, one foot what you want to do, and one foot what God has called you to do. 
He says you're not yet quite holy because you're living in two different worlds. And when we don't make God first priority, everything that we do too will be tainted. It's going to have spaghetti sauce on it. We've got to be careful. I mean, what did even Jesus, Son of God, say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? In that first chapter, he's talking about going to worship. I'm going to go pray. When you take your sacrifice to the house of God, and on your way, you remember, man, I've got a beef with someone. I've, I'm, I'm not right with someone in a relationship. Jesus said, then you leave your sacrifice at the door and you go make amends. It's that important that you go get right with that person and then you come back and worship. It's kind of like in our homes, and I know you've seen this before. You've got two kids that are fighting over something. You walk in between them. You get the story about what's going on and then you say, okay, okay, I see what's happening. You need to apologize to him. And the first time out of the shoot, this is what it looks like. I'm sorry, right? And you go, oh, oh I see. We're going to be here all day long. <laughs> no, it's, it's got to be from the heart. You, can't, you can say the right words, but if, they, if the heart isn't right, it's not the same. And eventually it gets to the point where they embrace, they hug, and they move on. And God's asking us, you know, you can get all the words right. You get all the actions right. But if your heart isn't mine, I want to remind you that attitude matters. God, I'll obey you as long as it's working out for me. God, I'll follow you as long as it's not uncomfortable or inconvenient, as long as it doesn't cost me too much. And what we have to remember is that we obey God not so that he'll bless us, but we obey God because he loves us. Wow, that was a Sprint commercial. You could hear a pin drop. He loves us. It's all about the heart. Now, verse 15, Haggai reminds him, he says, look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Now, what's he looking at? What's he talking about there? We have to go all the way back to the first chapter in Haggai. First service got that, by the way. There's just two chapters in Haggai, don't feel. <laughs> verse 6. Haggai's reminding them of verse 6. He says, You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Haggai's reminding them. Do you remember you were... You were kind of going through the motions initially, but you weren't getting everything that was part of it. You still are empty. It's as if you're working for $20 an hour when you're really only getting $10 an hour. And God wants to bless us so much more. And then Haggai turns a really tough verse for us to read. Verse 16 and the first part of verse 17. He says, when you hoped for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent, God sent, blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. A church, if I'm going to be honest, I don't like that picture of God. That's, that's tough to swallow. It's interesting to see how God works this in. 
I mean, why would God send things in the way of providing provision for our family? The answer is in the latter part of verse 17. He says, even though I tried to get your attention with those things, you refused to return to me. And maybe in your own life right now, you're experiencing some negative thing going on. Maybe that's in your life because God's trying to change your heart. Now, I'm not saying that everything bad that happens in your life is God sending something your way. Not that at all. Because our enemy is the one who is actually sending those things our way. He attacks us because he wants to pull us away from our relationship with God. You remember the text that we've used for so many weeks now, John 10, 10? That the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But then Jesus said, I've come to bring you life and bring it to the full. Maybe it's just the fact that we live in a sinful and broken world that tough things happen. We read that verse and we think, man, that seems really unloving. But if you're a parent, you understand what's going on in the process. And we would do the same thing for one of our kids that was rebellious because we want the very best for them. We know what's possible for them and we want to guide them back to where they need to be. I think back to the very first semester that Tanner went to K-State. He was dealing with some things in his life but he came home for Christmas and his grades weren't what they wanted, what he wanted, certainly wasn't what his mom and dad wanted it either. And I had a come to Jesus meeting with Tanner I said, we're going to let you go back to K-State and finish in the spring, but if you can't turn it around, we're going to have to bring you home. And you can get a job, you can pay some rent, you can go to the local community school if you want to. Well, Tanner, in fine fashion, went back, turned it all around, got the grades going the direction he needed to, and hopefully this May, fifth year senior, he'll graduate. But it's in those moments where we we look at God in this moment and realize he wants the very best for us. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to pull us back. And the simplicity of the moment is what we've talked about for the last two weeks. And that is, God says simply, go to the mountain, bring down some timber, and build my house. Make me number one in your life. And we're reminded that successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. And I want to be successful in God's eyes. God says more than anything else, I want your heart. I mean, Jesus said so emphatically, Matthew chapter 22. He said, this is the most important thing in all of theology. It's not... It's not what the worship style is. It's not how inclusive women are in culture or church. It's none of that stuff. No, he says the most important thing is that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the next one he says is equally important that you love those around you more or as well as you do yourself. That you serve other people. And so every Sunday morning we come together and we sing, we stand and lift up our hands because we love being together. 
We love celebrating who God is. This world is tough, and so we come together to to be reunited, to encourage one another on the journey. We talk about giving first fruits back to God, and so we give on a Sunday morning, but we also offer our gift sets that we've been blessed with. We give our time and our experience to help promote and move the story of God in the moments that we live right now. And in verse 19, this story is wrapped up so beautifully for all of us. God says to the Israelites, I am giving you a promise. Now, while the seed is still in the barn, you have not yet harvested your grain and your your grapevines, your fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. God is going to bless them when they make sure he is prominent in their life. He is number one in their life. What a beautiful ending to our story in Haggai. And the beauty of the story is that it translates to us 2,500 years later. You see, God is giving his promise to you now. He is promising you. The seed is still in the barn, but I know that you've turned to me. You want me to be in your life. You want me to be number one. And because of that, there's been no rain, there's been no plowing, there's been no planting, but I promise from this moment forward, I am going to bless you. And so we end with the same question we began with, and that is, in your life, what have you not done in the last, metaphorically, 14 years that God's called you to do? What is it you've been holding back on that would make him number one in your life, that would make you realize you're listening to his story is it is it baptism maybe you've decided to put that off for whatever reason maybe it's a ministry that God's placed on your heart a passion within you that he's called you to perform and be a part of maybe it's a restored parental relationship maybe with your mom or your dad and maybe somewhere in the growing up years some harsh words were stated some things were done but you need to make that relationship right we need to forgive and move forward in that relationship Maybe you made some promises several months ago that you would start tithing and yet Sunday after Sunday goes by and you haven't yet committed to fully doing that. Maybe maybe he's called you to help kids tell the story of Jesus in some way. And you keep thinking next quarter, next month, next year, and it always is just right in front of you. Maybe it's called, you've been called to help feed the homeless maybe once a month on a Sunday afternoon downtown Dallas that's what he's placed on your heart and yet that day rolls around and it goes by without us moving forward in the process maybe he's called you to help out on a mission trip maybe to Kenya maybe to Honduras maybe locally right here in our own city and the times for signups for those moments come and go you say you want to be a part of that but he's called you to do that and yet it's a little inconvenient so you put it off yet another month another year Maybe he's called you to recommit to your marriage. Maybe you've poured into that and he says, you need to pour more into that. I'm with you in the process. See, God's placed things on our hearts that for whatever reason we shelve for a time period, but he says, I need you to make me number one in your life. I need you to move forward in my story. And he says, when you make a decision to make me the priority, the number one thing in your life, he says, from this moment forward, I will bless you. I'll, I'll give you more 
than you possibly could handle. And church, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the mystery of Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of the story that he's placing in this world right now. I want to be a part of everything he has to offer for me as a blessing. And so at times, even reluctantly, I submit. I said, God, use me how you, how you see fit. It may not line up with my story. And maybe that's what you're saying here this morning. Maybe in your own life, you're thinking about what you need to readjust in order to fully claim the entire blessing that God has to give you. My hope is this morning, mm, you've been moved. My hope is this morning that you'll look at the story that's 2,500 years old and it will remind you of the promises that God has for you in your own life, even while the seed is still in the barn. I'm gonna invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. Our shepherds and their wives are gonna be standing around the wall of this room. And my guess is there's probably some here today that got something in your way from making God that priority in your life. And I wanna encourage you to go talk with one of our shepherds. Let them pray over you. Let them remind you in prayer that God is with you, that he is the hope that you have. He will be your strength in that moment. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's being baptized and you haven't made that decision yet, but now you're thinking, man, I need to go forward with that because I want to be a new creation. I want to move into this holiday season, a brand new person. And we can do that today as well. And my hope is that each and every one of us will be reminded, God sincerely wants to bless you. And he's waiting on you and me to make him number one in our life. Let's stand together.